objectives of uh, Gathering Place Church. We hadn't done that in years. And so we're going to finish that up today. We're going to talk about ministry and multiplication. Um, so, so far we've covered our mission, our motivation, our message, and our methods. And I'll, I'll kind of recap each of those a little further down in the sermon today. But today we're going to talk about our last two, which are ministry and multiplication. <clears throat> As I talked about over the last couple of weeks, our, our distinctives are kind of cumulative, right? They, they build upon one another. And if you cherry pick one or two and say, I like these, but I don't like these others, they all kind of lose their, their whole sense of value. Um, so last week in Methods, we talked about um, the role, the call, the responsibility of elders, of deacons, and then of our church members. Um, we, we talked about the fact that, that those that are, are called by God are called in certain aspects of their life to handle certain things. The elders' primary responsibility is to oversee the whole church, and in particular, the spiritual aspects of it. The deacons are called to be servant leaders in the church, and so they take care of the physical needs of the church body. And then the church members, of whom are the elders and the deacons, are all, we are all called to care for one another. Uh, all of this is motivated by grace, and I, I want to bring that out again this morning because the last thing we need to do is to, to be doing something out of a sense of obligation or guilt. Um, we're right here at Christmas time, and I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten, I, I have, have you ever gotten a gift <clears throat> and it's obvious that somebody got it for you just because they were supposed to, and there's no thought in it at all? I've probably shared this with you guys before. One year for Christmas, I got a half a jar of peanut butter and a can of spinach from an uncle who shall not be named. Okay, that was one of those, I, I guarantee you he was leaving and went, oh, I didn't get a kiff from my nephews and nieces. Let me see what I got in the house. And, and so that's what I got. Our motivation is important. When we do something for other people, if we're doing it out of sense of obligation or guilt or anything like that, it's not going to... It's not going to have the right feeling, right? And we've talked about before in our distinctions, our goal is to lead people to know God. And if our service to them feels like it's out of obligation, what they are learning is not about who Jesus is, but how much we don't like them, really, right? So all of this needs to be motivated by grace that we receive not only through salvation, but every day from God as he speaks into our lives. I appreciate the testimony from Debbie today. Such great examples of how just things that may seem she said a couple of times, I know this is boring, and it's never boring when God's working in your life. When you walked into Target and you saw those shoes and they were the right size, there was nothing about that that was boring. That's what we want people to understand is that God is involved in the intimate details of our lives down to what kind of shoes you're going to get. That's a big deal. So now we know what we do. That's our mission. What we communicate. That's our message. Why we do it. That's our motivation. And who does it. That's our methods. And today we're going to talk about uh, how we know what we're supposed to do. And that's going to be ministry and multiplication. Before We're going to start today with ministry. And before we talk about the ministry that we do, let's talk about what ministry is for a moment. If you look up ministry in the context of the church, you're going to see it say that it's the act of ministering to someone. And it is so annoying when they use the word in the definition because it tells you nothing. I thought that was like illegal and against the rules. I and mean, Was I wrong? Because I looked this up in a couple of different places. But if you look up what ministering is, it says to attend to the needs of someone or to provide something that is necessary or helpful. So to just put it simply, and to like to define it this way we were in, when we were in college, that ministry is just meeting needs. It's looking around you, seeing what's needed, and then taking care of those things. Last week we talked about caring for one another and the, and the church body, but that's not all that we are called to do. 
We believe that God is leading us to be a church that ministers outside of our four walls. This means that we're going to be intentionally prayerful about the needs that we see in our communities and beyond. We do this in a couple of different ways. Specifically in our communities, that, when I say our communities, I'm talking about the, the place that we are geographically located, the place that God told us to plant this church. So that's the community outside of these physical four walls. But your community also includes the neighborhood where you live. It includes the, the people that you work with. It includes if you have a gym membership and you're there a couple of times a week, that's also your community. If your kids are on a t-ball team and you're with those families a whole bunch, that's your community. Our communities are not just right here. It's a lot bigger than that. And God has put us in those specific communities to share the gospel, to share the truth about who Jesus is. Another way that we, that we do this um, is in the state and around the world through a giving percentage of our tithes and offerings through the cooperative program of the SBC. So we give money every month to the SBC cooperative program, and that money is used to support ministry around the globe. We do it through the Gathering Place Network, financially by giving a percentage of our tithes and offerings to support the work of the network, by church planting by physically planting churches like we did with Colleen a couple of years ago, um, and then through network mentoring um, others who are called to plant churches. Glenn's done a lot of that around the state as well. Um, another way we do it, and this was not typically in our, in our distinctives when I'm going through this, but this is a new work that God's been doing, which is Sin Law Interfaith. Um, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later, but I wanted to share with you guys some of the things that's happening out of that. Um, the point of Sin Law Interfaith is for us to build relationships with other pastors and community leaders so that when something happens in one of our communities that we were just talking about, all of us have a depth of relationship that we can band together and work together to impact our communities in a significant way. We talk about it this way. If something happens in my neighborhood where I live, I live out in Bentley, Louisiana. If something happens out there, there's a need that rises up you guys won't ever know about it. But if I share it with you, that will become significant for you, not because you know the community, but because you know me. And because it impacts me, it's going to impact you. And the same is true in the reverse of that as well. And so we are purposely building these relationships with other pastors and community leaders so that when something that happens in Alexandria, that's going to affect this body as well, we can work together to bring a good, a good thing for all of those. So here's some ways we've done that. Utility bill relief. Everybody knows utility bills have been insane, especially in the city of Alexandria. Sinline Interfaith met with the previous mayor, Mayor Hall, and said, hey, all of our church members are experiencing these things. How can we work together to make this better? One of the things we asked for is what we called a one-pager, just explaining what happened how we got to where we are, what the plan is to get out of it. That's the thing that most of you, if you lived in the city of Alexandria, you got that in the mail two weeks later. That happened because Sin Law Interfaith went and sat down with the mayor and his staff and said, hey, here's something that's affecting everybody. How can we work together? We also were able to get them to put a memorandum on shutting off power until after the holidays. So even if people are behind, they're not going to lose their power during Christmas. That's pretty incredible. Okay, um, we've done, uh, there's a project coming, I'm really excited about this, called the Community Lighthouse, where they're going to, the first one will be Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, which is on Bolton Avenue, a friend of mine, Reverend Roger Green, is the pastor of that church. Um, as you guys know, we have hurricanes, and when we have hurricanes, power goes out, water goes off, and all those things, and so a Community Lighthouse 
is they're going to put solar panels on that church enough and battery banks to to power that church that when power's out in the rest of the city people can go there they can get food they can get water they can charge their electronics all of those things that nobody else has access to and and they're going to be the pilot program and the goal is is to put those all over central louisiana our church would be a great one to do that at so that when the power goes out in this community we can take care of them okay so there's a lot more uh, another one i wanted to mention too is um, as you guys know punto de conexion did a backpack giveaway at the kent house this year because of sin law interfaith and a connection that myra and jj made at one of our meetings they were able to set up uh, one of the local health clinics, came and gave the school vaccinations that are required for kids to have to go to public school. They gave those vaccinations for free at that backpack giveaway. So it's just us working together. And apparently we now also do songwriting. So that's really cool. I took my iPad out earlier. I got Charlie under one arm and I'm trying to type it in there so I didn't forget. But those are ways that we do community. We do ministry outside of the walls of our church. All of this work is important. Right, But the most vital aspect of, of any ministry that we do is the why. Why are we doing this stuff? It's not just about seeing all the needs and trying to meet all of them. It's about asking God which needs you are to work specifically on. And at TGP churches, all of our ministries are grassroots, uh, meaning that they are conceived by God, given to the membership by God, confirmed by the elders and empowered through the body. And so let me, let me say that in a little bit clearer way. When we say ministry is grassroots, that means God calls you, a church member, to a specific ministry. And then you bring that to the elders and say, I feel like God is calling me to do this thing. Would you pray with me about this? And we do. We affirm God's call for that ministry. And then we give you the resources and the manpower and all of that that you need to make that ministry happen. In a lot of other church settings, all of that comes from the top down. The pastor has an idea or someone in leadership has an idea. I always share this example. I grew up in the Methodist church and we had a nominating committee. The nominating committee, their whole agenda was to nominate people to be on the other committees that were in charge of ministry areas. And so you had a bunch of people on a committee deciding what other people were going to be on the committees. And nobody wanted to be on any committees, right? That's top down structure. And, and the problem with that is, is that people's motivation is, I was nominated to this committee, so I got to do it because nobody else is going to do it if I don't. That's not love. That's obligation. That's not what we want. So our ministries here are grassroots. And the whole point of all of this goes back to our commitment to each personally know God by experience. Rather than doing it just because uh, somebody's asked you to, we want you to do it because God's doing it. Because he's put a passion in your heart to take care of a need that you have seen that he's pointed out to you. Okay, so our, our motivation should always be grace. And if it's not, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're not motivated by grace, stop doing it. Is that clear enough? All right. There are many, other thing, many things that other churches that we don't do. They do them, we don't do them, and that's okay. We're not here to say we're better than anybody else. Our goal is to ask God, should we do this? And if God says yes, then we do it. If God says no, then we don't. For example, how many Southern Baptist churches do you know you could probably count them on one hand that don't do Sunday school on Sunday mornings. This one, Colleen, Wardville. Like that, that's a thing that God told us to stop doing. And it's okay. We're doing discipleship in other areas of our lives, but God has formed our church to function in the way that he wants to. And every ministry that we currently do or don't do 
Those things are because God has said to do it that way. So if we ever are doing a ministry and you're wondering why are we doing that, ask someone. Because there's a reason. God has spoken that. And if you ask that question and they go, I don't know, I guess because we're supposed to, that's a red flag. And we need to have some conversation about it. Okay? Here's why we do this. It's not because we figured it out, not that we're better than other people. It's because God has called us to operate this way. This is how Jesus did ministry. You've heard this story before, but I want us to see it this morning. Because this is how God does ministry. Look at this example with me in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. It says, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man said, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down instead ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath, the law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So if you've not heard of the pool of Bethesda before, let me explain to you what's going on. This is a pool that's outside the walls of Jerusalem. It says that there were five colonnades. Think of those as like lean-tos, okay? The big columns with a roof under it. And the, the, the myth was, or the belief was, is that several times a year, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. And whoever was in the water first was the one that would be healed. So Jesus comes to this colonnade, these five colonnades, and there's these people who are... Who are paralyzed, lame, all these different things laying all under these colonnades. Jesus didn't go over there and heal all of them. He went to one man and he healed one guy, right? And so you have to ask yourself, if Jesus has the power to heal, why didn't he heal them all? Jesus answered that. He says uh, in John chapter 5 verse 19, it says Jesus replied, because now he's being questioned by the Pharisees. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Listen, the whole point is not for us to see every need in our community and try to fix all of that. We can't. That's not what we're asked to do. What we are asked to do is to do exactly what Jesus did. To see the needs and wait for the Holy Spirit to speak which ones we are to address and then to pursue that as the Holy Spirit leads us. Rather than doing, only, rather than doing all the things, we only do what the Father is showing us to do. As we do life around all these different communities that we described a while ago, God is going to show us far more needs or we're going to see far more needs than we could ever hope to meet. If we run around trying to do it all, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to exhaust yourself and you're not going to be of any real use anywhere. And number two, you're going to miss out on what God wants you to do because you're too busy to hear him or too tired to do anything about it after the fact. Remember the whole point of all of this is for us to know God personally. That's our motivation is to know him by experience. And as we are doing life with God, as he is showing us the needs that we have the ability to help with, through his power, then we do those things. 
If Jesus did only what the Father's doing, that's all we should be doing as well. Not adding things on top of that. I'll say that that requires that we are listening, not just saying that we're listening. That's the only way this works. Second thing, multiplication. We believe that God is leading us to be a church that multiplies. So we've already talked about our mission, which is leading people to know God. This is a different thing. This is our call to plant churches. To be effective in carrying out this distinctive, all of our leaders and members need to help to create a missional culture. A missional culture is exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Caring for one another and caring for those outside the walls of our church. Um, I've had lunches with a lot of pastors over the last uh, year from many different denominations. And when and here's how those lunches go. We, we meet up, we don't know each other, or maybe we've met once or twice. And we say, tell me about yourself and tell me about the ministry at your church. And so as I share about the ministries of our church, the things that God's called us to do, the areas that we provide help as God leads us, I always get a question along these lines. People say, how do you get your people to do all of that? Your church must be huge. I say, first of all, our church is not huge. And second of all, I don't get people to do anything. God does that. The only way this works is if every member is having their own personal experiences with God, hears his call, and obeys what God asks them to do. We are a sending church, and it's in our DNA. That's written in our distinctives. But there's a lot of people in this room who don't know what that means. They, not that you don't know what DNA means. You don't know our DNA. So I want to share it with you today. I think it was around 2010, after the fallout of Donahue, we reorganized as the gathering place. We, we sold our huge facility that we had to what is now Journey Church, and we moved to the building they were in, which is over in Lee Heights by the, by the VA hospital. And during that time, we were in a sweet spot. Like, Life was good. We had had all this drama and all this debt, and God had gotten rid of all of that. And so we're a much smaller congregation in this tiny little building, much like this one, in need of a lot of repair. Um, but it was amazing. It was amazing because um, God was doing stuff in our lives. And I wrote in here that it, it, we were enjoying the, the coziness of being together. And if you were there at that time, you know what I mean by cozy. Like the church was literally busting at its seam after no time at all. Um, and we weren't growing because we were marking ourselves well. We didn't have billboards out and all that kind of stuff. We were growing because all of us were having these incredible one-on-one -on -one experiences with God. God was working in our lives. We're telling people about it. It was contagious. People were coming to join what God was doing. We had kids coming out of our ears, not enough seats in the sanctuary. Like you would go, you, we would be in church and you would get done with the church and you go to get your kids out of the back. And like, I remember going in the back and I think it was Miss Bonnie was in a room and there was like 30 kids in there with her. And I'm thinking, this is insane. <laughs> Kara was part of all of that. You remember there were kids everywhere. And so we're praying about like, what do we do? And Glenn will be the first to tell you, it took a long time for God to speak to him in a way that he would hear it. Because here's, here's what we didn't want to do. We had just left this, like for this area, what would be considered a mega church, and all this debt and these massive buildings. And we're growing out of this tiny, we're, we're outgrowing this tiny building that we're in. And we didn't want to put all our money right back into a building. Like we've been there, we've done that. We didn't want to build a new building. We didn't want to add on to our building, but we didn't fit in the one we were in. And so we're asking God, what are we going to do? Took a long time, but finally, Glenn heard God say, we want you to plant churches. And I'll be honest, 
That was, that was hard. It was difficult for us to leave that coziness because it felt good to be in there. Y'all remember being in that building, those who were there, Kevin doing the dolphin while he's playing the piano, right? It was, it was amazing. If you haven't seen Kevin do the dolphin, I'll reenact it again for you later. And, and I'll tell you, one of the catalysts to make all this happen is God called Kevin out because he was part of the glue that held that place together. God called him to Lafayette. It was hard to leave. But what God was trying to help us to see is that being a church is not about being huge. It's about each of us knowing God for ourselves. And so as God is speaking all of those things, there was another church in the Wardwell community. I think they had three members left and a little bit of money in the bank. And the pastor called Glenn or knew Glenn and said, look, our church is dying. Y'all's church is busting at the seams. Can we give you our building and the money that we have and y'all replant this, a church in this location? Yes, we absolutely will. And at the same time, God spoke for, for some of us to move out here to, to West Alexandria. God said to, to plant a church out here. And, and we didn't have this building when we first started, but Aaron had an office down the street that had a tiny conference room in it. And so we went from being cozy to being even more cozy as, as a group of us moved over here to plant this church. Not about a year passed, this building came up for sale. That's another story, but God put us in this place and now we have this facility and we have no debt. Yeah, it's incredible. And all of that is because we were being obedient to God and we have this incredible ministry in this neighborhood. I was talking to Bethany yesterday and just ballparking. We've had probably about 20 kids from, that have lived in this neighborhood over the last seven years that have given their life to Christ, which is incredible. And it happened because there was a church that was busting at the seams in Pineville, Louisiana, and they heard God's voice, and they did what he said, and they moved out here, and now we've got some incredible relationships with the people in this community. We have each other. We have this church. We have who we are because some of the leaders, I wasn't even a leader at that time. I was, Bethany and I were doing youth ministry, but I wasn't an elder. But the elders listened to God, and they moved as they called him to. That's what I mean by it's in our DNA. This is who we are. This is what we do. We plant churches. As you guys know, just a couple of years ago, towards the end of a global pandemic, God said it was time to plant another church. I would not have picked that time to plant a church, but God spoke. And now we got another church in Colleen, Louisiana, and a little bitty building, and they're over there being cozy. And it's incredible. And now Aaron Slater Jr., I'm going to pick on him for just a minute, who was an elder, but he would sit on the back row and disappear as soon as we said amen, is now pastoring a church. And if that ain't the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. Okay? And he's, he's doing an incredible job. All of that happens because our people listen to the Holy Spirit and they do what he says. This is who we are. And just so nobody's, no, nobody's surprised, when we start filling this building back up again, you know what God's going to do, right? He's going to call us to plant another church. That's what we do, and that's who we are. I don't know who the pastor's going to be. I don't plan on going anywhere, but God may speak something different, right? But our goal as a church, one of them, one of our distinctives, is that, is that we multiply. That as God builds us up, instead of building a bigger building or buying more chairs or whatever, we're going to plant more churches. That's who we are. It's our dream one day that God would be calling entire life groups to relocate and to start churches together. Let that sink in for a moment. Like next time you're at life group, look around and imagine what it might be like if your life group, God called you as a group to go plant a church somewhere else. It may make you nervous, but to me it sounds really, really fun. 
and really, really exciting. Not because I want to go anywhere, but when you get to be in the midst of God doing something amazing like that within a group of people, Leah, I see you nodding. God's moving you to Baton Rouge. I'm just saying. Okay? See what happens. It would be crazy, but it would be so exciting. I'll tell you from from my perspective that helping to plant this church and to discover the ministry that God had already prepared for us in this community has been one of the greatest joys and the greatest accomplishments of my life to be a part of what God is doing through us. It is incredible. I would have never have guessed that my life would have turned out here in doing this. The work that God has called us to do is so much bigger than we are. But if we will listen to God and obey what he says, just like Jesus did, we're going to see God's activity in his life. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. Y'all have heard this before, but Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. God's given us everything we need to, to meet the needs that he's calling us to meet in this area. God's given us everything we need to plant churches. He's given us the Holy Spirit. God has called us to do great things, and I'm convinced that we have only seen a glimpse of what God wants to do. If we'll all commit our lives to abiding in Jesus, there is no limit to what he can do through this little church right here. So here's our distinctives. Our mission is to lead people to know God. Our motivation is the grace of God. Our message is the gospel of Jesus. Our method is that we, we do this in a congregation that's elder-led, deconserved, and member-powered. And our ministry is meeting needs as God leads us, and then multiplication by planting churches around the world. This is who we are. This is what God's called us to do. I, I had a list here. Apparently, I skipped it a while ago when I was talking, but I want to share with you, just in case you've forgotten, some of the places that God has, has used us in ministry. I'll just do it by memory because I don't remember where it's at. We support through this, through this body. We support TGP Network. We support missionaries in Alaska, Kentucky, Honduras, Romania, We've done church revitalization in Eunice, Crowley, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Lafayette, Lake Charles. All of that is supported by the ministries of this church, by the obedience of the people in this congregation. That's to be celebrated. This is who we are. This is what God's called us to do. I, I read something this morning, and it ties in perfectly with all of the kids' stuff and what Kara shared this morning. It said, I don't even remember who it was, um, but it, the, the author said that joy is not just a feeling, it's a person, right? It's Jesus. Our goal as a body is to know joy, right? It's to experience God for ourselves and to share that with other people. This is who we are. As we think about what it means to be a, a person of true faith, a church of true faith, it means that we are a people that are committed to knowing God deeper and deeper every day so that we can share the joy of who he is with the people that are doing life around us. So, after the first year, we're going to do our Vision Sunday like we always do. I can't wait to see what God's going to have us do. I don't even know yet. I'm praying about that. We'll see what He says. Whatever it's going to be, it'll be amazing because of who you guys are and who God is. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the ministry that you've given us here at the Gathering Place. Um, I ask that you would continue to speak to each of us individually as we're praying about what the next year of our life looks like. God, as we are, uh, as the elders are pursuing you, wanting to know what, what direction you want us to lead this body, Father, I ask that you'd speak clearly to us. 
Lord, as we are preparing to do business uh, of the church in just a few minutes, God, I ask that your spirit would be present in that as well. God, thank you so much for letting us partner or to be a part of what you are doing in central Louisiana and around the world. Father, we love you so much and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand.